All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, we give you tips on you know, how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce. Uh, as always, joined by my notorious compadre, my buddy, Mr. Aaron, aka Pizza Mind. How we doing, Aaron? Uh, I've had an aha moment what? that I want to start off this you. show with. It is rare. I usually have my head up my ass, but this time <laughs> I've come out and I've seen the light. And Typically just a bunch of melted cheese up there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, there's some bubbles that are forming now. Let's and it's it. not cancer. I got checked. <laughs> but it's, it's an aha moment because from the time I went to ETH Denver earlier this year and then permissionless and consensus and all the interviews that we've done, we've been hearing about Web3. And it's going to do this. It's going to do that. It's about privacy. It's about decentralization. But the aha moment is realizing this is potentially even bigger than Bitcoin. And this is why. Right now in Web2, we have these tech giants that are providing all these different services that we use. And it's taking money out of our pocket and going to these big companies and they're sitting in a balance sheet in a bank account somewhere. And they've accumulated hundreds of billions of dollars that are just sitting there doing nothing literally nothing that's been taken out of our communities. When we spend money in our communities, you know, we buy some flowers. The guy who owns the flower shop then goes to the butcher and buys some meat. And then the butcher can then go to the shop and buy it to the toy store and get some toys for his kids. And the money circulates around the community. Right. But the communities have been completely drained of so much money that goes to these big corporations that sits there doing nothing. But when you decentralize the internet and all the services that run on top of it, and the people providing the infrastructure and the software development and the support, 
are all members of the community instead of these big tech giants. Now we've literally reversed the, fl the cash flow of the entire world economy from going one direction to the other. That is absolutely life altering. Two In things just there. the way that Bitcoin mm -hmm. is, you know, sound money, this is now sound economy. And that's how important Web3 is. So we need more interviews. We need more thought leaders in this space. Bryce, who do we have today? All I got to say is this is a cold open. We typically introduce the guests. We don't keep, we don't keep everybody it. hanging normally, but we got Kyle <laughs> Rojas here. Uh, Kyle, let's just jump into it. You're from the graph. You're from uh, Edge and Node. Yep. Let's just go comment on Pizza Mind's comment here. Yeah, two things. One, there's more than cheese up there. Two, I think he stole the thunder <laughs> and we could just call it a good podcast. That was a... <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyle. No, well done, dude. I, I, I couldn't have said things much better myself. So I agree in a, in a big way that I'm sure we'll talk about it in a, a bit deeper level. Yeah, man. No, that, that's good stuff. I uh, love the energy. But Kyle, let, let's just dive in a little bit uh, into your background. How did you end up on the Crypto 101 podcast, right? What, what are you uh, up to? What were you doing before crypto? And what are your interests? Sure. So I was born in, in, in Southern California, kind of a rough and tumble kid. I uh, went to the military, didn't have much optionality, uh, ended up doing fairly well, served around the world for 12 years, chose family over a really successful military career. Uh, got my MBA to like learn how to be a civilian and then um, found myself at Goldman Sachs. And I was there almost seven years. I'd kind of made it, but you know, two years or so into that seven years stitch, I fell down the rabbit hole, I'd say. So late 2016, probably started as a, a volatility trader, then trader learner, then like heavy DeFi user and uh, economics and in incentives nerd. So uh, a few years ago, probably came to the realization that Web3 is not only probably a massive part of the future, but that um, I'll regret it when I'm older if I don't do something within it, as opposed to just invest and participate as some anon um, profile pick, which is still fun for me, but uh, that's a separate part of my personality. So <laughs> the um, prodigal son. The, yeah, uh, you know, that's one way to put it. And so when I started looking for jobs last year, I had a fairly good network because I've been in the space a while and got some really good offers and, and took sometimes in some cases a bit less to come work for edge node on the graph because at first time in my life i get to work to learn not work to earn and i just wanted to be in first and foremost the thing that was tackling probably the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges in the space which i'm sure we'll talk about and two i wanted to get to know everyone and learn a little bit about every project in the space and there are a few places to do that better than working on the graph because of how many projects and how many blockchains touch the graph. And I get to see, like, oversee all that. It's awesome. It's really cool. Let's talk about that. What is the graph at a high level and what it is or what problem are they solving here in blockchain and Web3? Sure. So I'd say Web3, let's say it's powered by blockchains, right? The entire system has been about peer-to-peer -peer interactions with every interactions recorded on the blockchains across the ecosystem. And the graph can be best thought of as the Google of Web3 because developer, developers in general can use the technology to uh, organize and access all public blockchain data, which is very hard in most cases and impossible in some cases, sifting through organizing and actually making the data usable from blockchains. And right now the graph is integrated with you know, 35 blockchains, but eventually it'll empower all blockchains and, and all projects that sit on them. So it's definitely an essential and critical layer 
of Web3 technology and just digital infrastructure in general. Would you say that there's any Web2 equivalence or, you know, kind of Web2 competitors, if you will, to what the graph is building? Is, is there something that maybe is a, that kind of in order to give, give way of analogy? Aside from Google, because if you look at before Google, the history of the human species was not accessible in one search bar or, you know, in our pocket in some supercomputer. And same thing as Web3 eats the world's data, there's no one that is able to organize and make that um, that information accessible. So in that sense, the only competitors are centralized competitors. Uh, and those are the ones that are building Web2 companies, right? All the problems that come with centralization, the lack of robustness, anti-fragility, the completely messed up incentives. I don't know if I could swear on this podcast, but I would have there if, if I could. It's 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 a wrong way to build. I think people realize that Web2 is essential to get to where we are now. But now we're at a place where we can build better and we can you know, take away the power of decision making and um, uh, just controlling oligarchy and get, kind of give it back to the individuals, which is super important and a really fun thing to be part of. Uh, so to answer your question, there isn't because no one's building in a decentralized way because it's so hard to do. And that's why it's taken the graph a while to get to this point where it's now coming to fruition this year. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, the, the DAO architecture, um, you know, it I feel like in bull markets, it's it's really easy to say, okay, the DAOs are great. But in bear markets, we're, we're seeing some DAOs start to crumble. Um, when the token prices start to kind of fall down and, you know, just, I don't want to name any names, but uh, there's some DAOs that are proposing some very um, centralized sort of takeovers and in order to uh, kind of get rid of certain whales. And it's like, it seems more of like an oligopoly where, you know, the, the people with the most money can kind of control and it doesn't seem like it's true network consensus. What And so, so I, I'm, I'm just having a, a little existential kind of crisis moment with uh, along with the DAOs. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's your kind of take on like truly decentralized governance? That might be above my pay grade. I would say that the world isn't fully decentralized yet, meaning fully decentralized applications being powered by fully decentralized technology and infrastructure isn't quite there yet, but it will be over the next couple of quarters. Probably this year is the year of Web3 where the plumbing is real after mm -hmm. building for half a decade. And that means that we're going from this zero to one moment that we don't know what it's going to be like. We, we have very good ideas and we've been building this for a long time, or at least a lot of teams have, but we just, um, it's so difficult to say something's completely decentralized if it has any centralized aspect whatsoever, which almost everything across the entire ecosystem, let alone the rest of the world is all based at least somewhere in some centralized infrastructure. So I would to answer your question, centralization is easier. It's easier because you can make decisions faster, you can move faster, you can actually monetize better because you can make money off of people where the people are the products, like in Web2. And in the decentralized world, there's a lot more to the dynamics. Like where do the incentives come from? How do you value uh, reputation? And how do you value capital? How do you value uh, just the meritocracy in general? And all that's still in flux. 
it's cool. We don't know what it's going to look like long-term. I think it's, you know, years away, many years away from like truly becoming self-sufficient. So to answer your question, naturally in bear markets, people are going to go into survival mode if they don't have a long enough runway. Thankfully, the graph ecosystems are very, very good runway. And we're going to see a lot of folks run to the end of the runway and not be in the air um, at takeoff time. Uh, that's sad. And we'll see what the, the M&A structure looks like. And I think there will be a lot of M&A in general. We've already started seeing that with SBF and others on the centralized exchange side. But I think we'll see a lot more of that in general as, as projects find it hard to stay afloat. And other projects with really good runways, good treasuries kind of swoop those up. So. Interesting. With uh, someone like yourself who understands you know, the traditional side of finance and also the crypto side and the world at large as well from your military career. Do you see a lot of humanitarian problems being solved by Web3? Or is this really just kind of a parallel economy that sort of helps take a little bit of control away from the central banking system? But there's still going to be a lot of other situations that, you know, crypto and technology is not really going to get its hands around yet. To be frank, I don't think that crypto is going to solve all the world problems, at least not in the near term, meaning there are a lot of problems it does solve and the problems it's solving are super important. Most importantly, the misalignment of incentives from the oligopoly or the oligarchy of the very, very wealthy people that have all the incentives to build these massive corporations because their incentive is to continue making more money for them and their shareholders and squeeze every ounce of profit out of people. That is a grossly misaligned system, and that's happening in Web2, that's happened in traditional finance, that's happening in everything. Really, any business model in human history has always been to wring as much profit as possible out of every user, and that is a huge problem that Web3 is tackling. It's realigning the incentives. And you think of what the realigned incentives, like, again, I'm an incentives nerd. Incentives drive behavior. If you disincentivize grossly competitive behavior to shut off everyone from what you're building and incentivize collaboration that will lead to much faster innovation and faster innovation because of the open source nature of web three in general leads to success of any ecosystem, any, let's say, um, company, any, any species, the faster you innovate, the faster you evolve, the, the best leading indicator you have that you'll survive and thrive. And so Web3 opens people up to a Cambrian level of explosion of, of innovation, starting with, you know, Bitcoin started the, pr the primitive, Ethereum was another level of, of game-changing tech. And now we're on this place where we're building off of what Ethereum has built using Ethereum. And it's just happening so fast to where it took thousands of years for anything to innovate a long time ago. It took hundreds of years for the railroads to innovate and open source so people can build on it took dozens, if not scores of years for the internet to inter innovate. And now it's taking years to quarters for things to truly become worth $50 billion and get crushed because they messed up. And that's good. It's creative destruction. It's getting rid of bad actors. It's showing the inadequacies and it's keeping the antifragility for the ecosystem in general. And it's still thriving, right? Amazing minds are still coming to this ecosystem all the time from TradFry, from Web2 and everywhere else. And that those are awesome leading indicators. So I don't know what problems it's going to solve. I don't know if it's going to solve world hunger or homelessness. It could, and we have ideas about it. But what it is doing is is realigning incentives, 
and and getting rid of um, just a few people making decisions behind closed doors for the world when everyone's just sitting there kind of taking those actions as opposed to making them. Wow. Yeah. I love that illustration of just how, how quickly each generation is kind of iterated and uh, it's adapt or die, especially, I mean, now more than ever and, and the adaptations and the, the iterations are just getting quicker and quicker. And, you know, now we're seeing, like you said, I mean, things come and go in just a couple years, one year that amass $50 billion and lose it. And there's funds that get to $20 billion and they lose it. And it's just, it's mind blowing. So uh, stay nimble with your guys's uh, um, just general, you know, feces, I guess, and, and be willing to adapt and change. When it comes to crypto, something we preach endlessly is keeping your assets secure. And in today's digital world, the same exact thing can be said about everything we access and share across the internet. So if you're looking for a safe way to send and receive any kind of digital data or information or really anything online, well, a great resource we've used is NordVPN. Uh, And here are a few reasons why NordVPN really stands out. So first of all, their next generation technology is used to secure top secret data, literally top secret, so much so that it's actually recommended by the NSA. And don't let that intimidate you because NordVPN is easy to use for anyone. You can connect with literally one click or enable auto connect for a zero click protection. And again, it's secure with with more than 5,400 servers across 60 countries. NordVPN is actually the fastest VPN out there. It's available on every major platform like Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV supports NordVPN. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash crypto 101 to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus free threat protection, plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So again, visit nordvpn.com slash crypto101 today and look for the coupon code crypto101 and it's automatically applied to your order. In terms of aligning incentives, you know, we've got a couple different plays here as investors there's some offers for equity. There's some offers for tokens. Um, there's other relationships that are strictly issuing grants or having partnerships. What do you think the best way to keep incentives alive in crypto are? That's a tough question because crypto is not black and white. There's a, a, a big quilt of all types of crypto companies. There's centralized exchanges, which naturally have gone the equity route. There's there's some things in between. There's DAOs. There's DeFi. NFTs and all of those have different aspects. What we're in the graph ecosystem are long on, we're long tokens and we're long protocols, decentralized protocols. We're not very bullish on you know web two platforms and equity models. Not to say it's not good for someone to build, but we like building decentralized from the start. And that takes a community-minded incentive system built decentralized from the beginning, because if you build centralized, it's very, very hard to unwind that. Uh, and you don't see that happening really yet. Uh, we'll see if people can do that in the future. Some are trying to do that. But whenever we're talking to smaller organizations, whether they're using the graph or whether we're investing in them in general as, as individuals, we're always saying, you know, build decentralized from the start. It 
is a lot better for the world. It aligns the incentives properly. And even though it's a, a gray area as opposed to black and white, it's it's the better way to go. Uh, so that's where we're long. So I can't answer your questions. I'm not answering all your questions. About no, the they, stuff. I'm yeah, it's good. These are good. You know, these are good discussion points because, you know, it, it kind of made me think of, you know, I, me and Pete's were talking about it the other day, even uh, with security tokens. And it's like, are the securities going to get merged onto the blockchain and become security yeah. tokens or are just companies going to start just only kind of having, you know, a token model and it's not even a company. It's just this, you know, nebulous community of, of global people all around the world um, yeah. and, and kind of skipping the equity formation. Like is, is equity a truly a thing of the past? Is it, is it a, is it a burden? I think it's a fairly, it's a legacy system that's a bit aristocratic um, because it gets concentrated. Uh, and even though the crypto ecosystem in general, I think it was, you know, Vitalik and, and other people have reverberated that it's a bit plutocratic, let's say proof of stake, yeah. the person who has the most has a lot of power. And that means it's probably not the end all be all, which is good. We need to fail. We need to tear things down, rip them apart so they can get better. And all we do is learn the best primitives so we can keep building and rip everything else, rip all the fat away so we can keep building stronger. So failure is good, in my opinion. So these things that build up, break down, if, if anything comes out of that um, positive that someone can use in the future, that's awesome. And that's the power of open source, too. Yeah, no, that, it, like like you said, like you got to break down in order to build up. That's like weightlifting, right? You got to break the muscles down, or you know, in order to probably like in your uh, military training, you got to get broken down in order to kind of come back stronger and say, "Wow, you know, I can do this." But very fascinating concepts. But let's dive into the graph and let's get a little bit more uh, tangibility around it, if you will. Yeah, a lot of people that are watching or and listening to the show. Uh, crypto 101, average Joes, basically uh, crypto 101, crypto enthusiasts, uh, people who are really excited about it. But, you know, the average person, how can they leverage the graph? You're saying how can they get into the graph? How can they use the graph in general? Yeah. Or or is the graph more a uh, a platform that's kind of focused on institutions only and, you know, it's B2B or is there a consumer facing aspect to it? Yeah, that people could get their hands on. Yeah, I'll se actually separate that into two ways. The B2B Perfect. concept is to actually use the graph in an application or website, meaning if you want data from the, the blockchain to populate into an application or website, and usually that's a business unless somebody wants to go and query that data themselves. One simply has to set up a subgraph, which, uh, and that's the open API system based in GraphQL, which can take as little as a few minutes. And once that's set up, the information they point to, meaning the, the information they want to populate into their application, it's organized and ready to serve in perpetuity. So that's the B2B aspect, right? It's not a huge lift and the seven core dev teams in the graph ecosystem, including myself and solutions engineers, we're always ready to help every step of the way. And you should be reaching out to me on Twitter, uh, on Discord, Telegram, whatever. But uh, there are also three ways to participate in which a lot of other people participate that don't need to get technical or aren't developers or aren't builders. And the first, uh, let's say these three just make up the graph network in general, right? The first is the most technical as an indexer. Think of that as a, a, dev top, a DevOps team running their own little decentralized Google. And right now there are 167 of those around the world serving queries. So that's a very technical lift, a DevOps team. The second is as a curator, 
And these people find subgraphs or open APIs, again, that I mentioned, used to organize and serve the data. And they put GRT on those subgraphs they think will be the most highly used, so higher volume. And they play a super important role in the ecosystem as well. Uh, and then lastly, like me, there are delegators. And just think of these as stakers, right? We put our GRT onto indexers to enable that indexer to scale their operations. So anyone can participate, even in a small way. And that's all apart from anyone who goes to the Uniswap analytics page, that's pinging the graph. Anyone who goes to Balancer, anyone who goes to, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of DeFi websites, a lot of NFT websites, wallets, anytime you go to those in general, they query the graph. So you don't realize it, but the middle layer between the blockchain and all that information and the application is the graph providing all that information to wherever you click on a page, it populates and is only really only feasible because of the graph. So you're participating without even knowing it just by surfing around different applications, websites, and the Web3 space in general. So there's a lot of different aspects, some that are just abstracted away. That's really cool. What tools or infrastructure pieces are still needing to improve or maybe missing uh, entirely to build this Web3 infrastructure in a decentralized way? I know there's a lot of other companies out that are still using Amazon Web Services and yeah. Infura for connecting to everything, but those are huge points of failure already. Yeah, and they're Web2 building models, right? They're subscription and or charged by transaction models, which the graph ecosystem doesn't take even one GRT out of any transaction anytime someone interacts within the system. But let's say the 35 blockchains that are integrated with the graph most of those are on the hosted service. And the hosted service is something that we have bootstrapped and are paying for out of pocket to enable uh, or to allow us to have enough time to build the decentralized network, which is only enabled with Ethereum right now. We actually announced at Graph Day a couple of weeks ago that we are deprecating the hosted service by the end of Q1 2023. And that means all 35 blockchains will move over to the decentralized network and all the, the subgraphs and their volume there will likely flow as well. And that will allow applications that say they're dApps to truly be called dApps because without decentralized technological infrastructure, they're just apps. Um, so that's, I mean, it's a big, it's a big plumbing issue, right? It's just not ready yet. And we've been building this for years, many years, half a decade in some cases with Web3 stack stuff. And, you know, there's storage applications like Filecoin and Arweave that are, are now coming to fruition. There's um, there's just so many pieces of the Web3 stack that are coming to fruition over the next few quarters, the graph being one of them fully cross-chain uh, by early 2023. So it's exciting times. Uh, and that's a big unblocker to make sure things are truly called dApps. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's going to be the mission. Um, I, I got an interesting one for you and not to put you on the spot or anything, but uh, <laughs> Good setup. If, yeah. <laughs> no, if, if you were to sum up uh, 2022, 2022 uh, will be the year of Web3. Web3. Okay. It will be the year of Web3 infrastructure coming to fruition, hands down, full stop. Wow. And there's only six months to go. And so you you sound like you know something that most of us don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, we spoke actually with a, a very large developer, CTO, founder kind of guy. And he was saying that the the merge, right, the the Ethereum 2.0 merge, it's like 
it is so, you know, kind of buttoned up and ready to go. It's just kind of operational and procedural things, getting everybody in sync across all the different, you know, clients. Um, but there's no big questions left. There's no technical uh, sort of challenges like the test nets are running. Um, and so uh, it's more of just a, a coordination thing. So when I learned that, but I still hear everybody, you know, kind of on Twitter that are talking about like, oh, you know, they're delaying it. They're they're scrambling. They're looking for answers. They have no idea. Da, da, da. I'm like, well, you know, I I just spoke with someone who's like very, very close to a lot of the uh, kind of the experts in the Ethereum dev community. And he's saying that uh, it's kind of all systems go. So from that standpoint, you know, with the Ethereum 2.0 merge, how does how does the graph kind of think about this whole transition? Are there lots of um you know things that you guys as an application that you know speaks to ethereum do you guys have to kind of re-architect things or you know because i guess ethereum 1.0 and ethereum 2.0 are just going to be now two completely different chains yeah um there's there's a couple of things in the back and we've need to do but not much will change one thing as we're moving forward on the ethereum roadmap is the eip uh, quad four or 4444 with historical information Mm -hmm. um, Vitalik and the CEO, Yaniv Tal of, of the uh, Edge and Node, they've talked pretty publicly about how historical information on Ethereum will likely go through the graph. So the graph will likely be utilized for all ETH historical uh, data in general, wow. which will be a lot of fun. And that'll make it a lot more efficient for um, people spinning up nodes in general and just make the, the ecosystem more efficient across the board. So that's exciting. With the merge, I mean, there's a lot of um, pros and cons, I'd say, depending on if you're a miner, there's a lot of cons. And uh, depending on if you believe proof of work versus proof of stake is better, I, I'm not gonna give any opinions there, but I do love um, the innovation that's happening. And I do love how many smart minds are working on this. And I think that's a, a really good indicator that uh, this many smart people working on a problem, uh, regardless of how difficult they are, that's gonna get figured out. Um, so I won't, I won't comment on, on the merge in general, uh, cause I have feelings, but I'll keep in my back pocket for a beer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Next time you, uh, you pop, pop back down to Southern California, right? We'll, yeah, uh, we'll exactly. grab some beers. Sounds um, good. One last question I think we've got for you, Kyle, uh, that I want to ask, make sure we squeeze in here. Cause we could talk for a long, long time. There's so many new people that are coming into the space right now. We've seen them at permissionless and consensus. We had eight stages of educational content for brand new investors at this year's eight consensus, stages? Yeah. eight stages wow. running Great. concurrently. Unbelievable. The amount of fresh capital and fresh interest coming in that hasn't been through anything yet. They don't know what they're getting into. They're still learning about gas fees right now. Can you leave us with some words of wisdom for people who are coming into the space brand new, fresh out of the traditional finance womb. womb. Yeah. Um, let me see. I'd say that the biggest piece of advice in the, about people learning about the space and the way I learned, right, is to go do it. Stop looking at some influencer, even though crypto Twitter can be great for information, YouTube's great for information, go tinker get into discord telegrams tinker with these protocols fail and keep going and continue doing that you'll get to learn a lot of amazing people you will fall in love with what this can do even on a small scale 
And then hopefully you'll kind of see what this can do on a large scale. So get out there, tinker, tinker failure, attend events, attend hackathons, even if you're not a dev, because a lot of dev teams at, at hackathons are best when they have business and marketing and developers in general. And just meet as many people as, you po as possible, because I really think people 20 years down the road, if they look at this and, and pass on it and go back to their, their cubicle, will, will regret it when the future becomes the present. And they realized this was probably one of the juiciest pitches they've ever had come across the plate. Uh, and my life is all about regret minimization, which is why I gave up a, a really good, comfortable life to come work harder than I ever have. And I'm, I haven't slept better in my entire life. Wow. I love it. Regret minimization as a, uh, as a way of life. That's something that, uh, you know, I, we, we actually haven't heard on the podcast yet, but it's a pretty cool concept and it makes very instant sense um, as kind of a, uh, philosophy. Uh, but Kyle, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, where can uh, folks find out more about the work that Edge and Node is doing, as well as all the exciting developments with the graph? Sure. They can go to thegraph.com, check out some things there, edgenode.com. They can go to the graph uh, Twitter page, which has a lot of stuff and Edge and Node as well, but a lot of stuff is coming out on the graph. And then from there, they'll kind of go down the rabbit hole of all the different core devs across the teams. But if anything, just honestly, just DM me on Twitter uh, <laughs> at Kyle, capital A Rojas, and I'll red pill you with whatever you want across Web3, across the graph ecosystem. This is like, this gives me so much joy to be here and help educate. So just ping me if you don't want to go fool around and go to the wrong website and I'll help you. Love it. Thank you so much for being a good shepherd, a good steward of, of knowledge. And uh, man, we're, we're excited to have you back one day when, when there's more announcements, more partnerships, more excitement coming out of your corner. So without further ado, Kyle, uh, we'll let you go and, and have a great rest of your week. Thanks, fellas.